You are now listening to The Shyest Podcast, when millions of opinions just aren't enough. Buccaneers dropped another one, 27-22 this time at home to the Ravens. And now, it's time for the Pick'em Show. Good morning, everybody. Or, good afternoon, good evening, good night, good day. Whenever you're listening to this, if you're here... And you're listening. That's all that matters. I appreciate it. I'm flying solo again. Kristen has decided to not participate in the Pick'em Show uh, as long as she is doing well in the picks and in fantasy football. She's a tad stitious. So, at least for the time being, I'm going to be doing this by myself and I'll figure it out. As we move forward, I'm going to structure things a little bit differently just to keep myself on track since I have no co-host anymore to help with that. And, you know, maybe I'll get some fancy sound effects or something like that, but that'll be in the next show. But for now, we're going to do first and 15, and that's going to be the first 15 minutes. I'm going to talk about the Thursday night game. So that's 1st and 15, starting now. This was a game where... What I should say is... Last week when the Bucks lost to Carolina. Before that game, I said if the Bucks lose this game, they officially suck. And that game was their fourth loss in five games. And the one game they won, they barely survived Atlanta. So I already knew, like I had told myself, this is not a good team. So when they initially opened as one point underdogs at home, uh, I liked that pick because after getting embarrassed by Carolina, I figured, you know, the Bucks still have pride. They're coming back home. They're not going to be embarrassed in the same way again. And at least that was the case early on. The defense came out and got a big stop right away. Um, and then on the ensuing punt return, the Bucks muffed the punt thanks to uh, some friendly fire as one of the Tampa blockers was run back into the kick returner. And the ball bounced off his head, and it was recovered by Baltimore. And they ended up getting the field goal out of it. But like all things considered, like they avoided disaster. They ended up playing uh, good enough defense to hold them to three, and they were going to get the ball back. Sure, it wasn't pretty, but the defense came out, and they had done their job to that point, and given the ball back to the offense, and. Tampa was ready to take the field with their offense for the first time. You know, in looking at this game, 
at least in uh, diagnosing the early part of this game, one of the keys I said was the Bucks need to run the ball. They need to get back to giving Leonard Fournette the football, staying behind the run, letting the passing game happen as a result of the run. Uh, because Fournette had had 127 yards in the first game, 60-something in the second game. So he had 180 of his, like, 370 yards in the first two games of the season, and it's not really a surprise that as his uh, run total has dropped, they have continued to struggle over the course of the last now six games. So I had figured that they probably didn't want to give the Baltimore offense too many chances, was going to be in their best interest to get behind the run game anyway and at least early in the game uh, on the first drive that's what they did Fournette had five carries on their first drive for 14 yards but two of those I think were a nine yarder and a five yarder and some losses and short gains in there but nonetheless he touched the ball five times he had 14 yards and he ends up scoring a touchdown and they're up 7-3 at that point and I bring this up because as things began to turn later in this game, he only had four carries for 10 yards the entire rest of the game. And if you look at some of the, the detailed information on the receiving numbers that I listed prior to this game, he's also their leading receiver in terms of catches, but he only had three catches for 34 yards. So... It's tough to say exactly why, but he was just not involved in this game. Not after the first drive, anyway. And I, you know, I had to watch the game on record. And then when I got back to it, you know, the, my first thought was like, did they forget he was on the team after the first quarter? Because they were able to get up 7 3 behind the strength of him running the ball. And uh, they were able to kick a field goal and get up 10-3 as well. So I think at that point, you know, you're playing with the lead. The defense was doing a good job. They had forced Baltimore to punt twice already at that point. The only Baltimore points had come off of the muffed punt. Uh, at the time, Tampa made it 10-3. They got Baltimore to punt two more times and turn it over on downs and miss a field goal by the end of the half. But for whatever reason, it was just not involving Leonard Fournette anymore. And, you know, it's weird, but part of me thinks that when they were up 10-3, they were, finding a, they were trying to find a way, at least, to get Brady and the passing offense like involved in the game because the the distance has been there at least you know the yardage has been there because they're playing in these games where Tom is throwing the ball 40 50 times a game he threw for 300 yards and eventually a touchdown in this game but like their offense has stalled in the red zone because they're throwing a lot and they're just not having the same kind of success they're used to having so I think when they were up 10-3 they felt that they were in control of the game and they were just trying to get the kind of touchdown that they wanted rather than getting any kind of touchdown. And this ended up backfiring because they lost the game. But also towards the end of the first half, Baltimore had figured out that they needed to spread things out. 
They had come out early in the game, and they were playing in a lot of two and three tight end sets. Trying to play, like, power formation football, but Lamar also threw the ball 31 times in the first half. But they weren't playing with the right kind of personnel groupings, at least in my opinion, to take advantage of where the Bucks were weak. They allowed the Bucks linebacker speed to actually be a factor, and then... Towards the end of the first half, Greg Roman kind of started to figure it out. He started going to more three, four wide receiver sets. Uh, once Mark Andrews like actually officially left the game with the injury, it put Isaiah Likely into that tight end spot, and he's a little bit uh, faster, more receiver-like tight end than Andrews. So it was able to really give them a different look. And, you know, the Bucks were missing four guys in their secondary. So it wasn't until late in that first half that Baltimore really pivoted and tried to approach the game in a way that helped them and as soon as they went spread it forced Tampa Bay to have to match up with a bunch of inexperienced secondary players and they held up for a while but eventually spreading things out you're giving the Baltimore running backs a lot better opportunity to run the ball against a smaller box and that started to pay off after the uh end of the half because they got into field goal range long field goal range for Tucker and it ended up getting blocked but you know it could have been 10-6 at the half uh, instead it was 10-3 and in the sec- at that point like they hadn't run the ball very much or very well they had thrown the ball a ton with very little success Lamar hadn't looked great at that point gotten sacked a couple of times missed a throw in the end zone so in the second half they they went right back to the spread and they started running off of it. They started using Jackson to run off of handoff looks in the spread. They end up with 231 rushing yards in this game, and uh, Duvernay picked one up. Uh, Gus Edwards ended up with 11 for 65 before he left the game with an injury. Kenyon Drake eventually got it going, seven carries for 62. Lamar had nine for 43. Justice Hill had four for 28. So they ended up being really balanced, having 222 team passing yards with two touchdowns and 231 rushing yards with a touchdown. And it was really likely, Isaiah likely that is, that stepped up and made the biggest difference for them when Andrews went down because the tight end is their position. And comparatively, like as soon as they got out ahead uh, and the Bucks were playing from behind, like they really didn't have much of a choice because... At that point, they had abandoned the run game. Like I said, you know, Fournette touched the ball. He had nine, uh, excuse me, five carries on the first drive, but ended up with nine in the whole game. So, really, after that first drive, he was a non-factor. Uh, Rashad White came in with four uh, carries for 19 yards total. Brady had one for one, <clears throat> and Julio Jones had one for zero. But as a team, they had 15 carries for 44 yards, and meanwhile, they had. 44 pass attempts, official pass attempts, uh, for 325 yards and basically what amounts to a garbage time touchdown to Julio Jones later in the game. I mean, it was a weird thing of like, as I'm watching it, I'm having a hard time deciphering whether or not Tampa even wanted to win the game or if they just wanted to like start to get things moving more in the direction that they're accustomed to because at three and five they're not out of it their division isn't good so I don't think they really like have to sweat too much about winning that division you've got a two and five Carolina team you've got a two and five Saints team 
Uh, and there's a three and four Atlanta team. So Tampa Bay being three and five, like they're right in the middle of the fray. They can still win the division. They can still make playoffs. So I think part of this game was definitely them trying to win it the way that they wanted to win it rather than trying to win it the way that strategically made sense for them in the game. And, you know, I'm a big believer in omens and I don't know why. It doesn't always play out, but it's very hard to overcome like really big, bad momentum plays like the muffed punt return early in the game. It's like Tampa's defense comes out, they get a great stop, they force Baltimore to punt, they can go up 7-0, but instead they muff it, and then the defense has to scramble just to get a stop and hold them to a field goal, but it was just a moment where you could see that this team is like, they don't communicate well, they got a a lot of young guys in key positions that are making big mistakes, Tom is incredibly frustrated with the way things are going, him and Mike Evans are not on the same page of all people. The one guy that he should be on the same page with is Evans. Gronk not being there just takes away certain types of throws that Tom is used to having in his repertoire. So even though the numbers are looking the same, the functionality of the offense just isn't there. And so it wouldn't surprise me if this was a game where not like it's a throwaway game, but they're using it to try to figure out how to do what they want to do and when they were up 10-3 it looked like they were in complete control of the game so they weren't really I think afraid of losing the game at that point and then by the time that Baltimore turned it on in the second half and Tampa punted a couple times it went from 10-3 to 17-10 really fast and then the Bucks offense is not working at that point and they couldn't figure it out and they're playing catch up the whole time and the way that Baltimore was running the ball mixing in the the spread game to really keep Tampa on their heels and test their depth like the Tampa Bay defense got really tired in the second half having to defend all the different run looks and you know Greg Roman did a really nice job of of adjusting excuse me after a really rough like first quarter and a half and when I first sat down to write about the game and go through their predictions and everything and I saw Tampa at plus one I was like all right they're at home they're underdogs I like this pick because I think they need to do this with Fournette, get him going. So when it was 10-3 early in the game, I'm like, all right, they're doing everything that I thought that they would do and could do in order to control this game. And they were sitting pretty at that point. But as I was writing about the game before actually making the pick, the spread that started at Tampa plus one eventually swung to Tampa minus two. And when that happened, I was like, ooh, there's a lot of money coming in on Tampa. So obviously there's a lot of other people thinking that, you know, Brady and this offense is not going to be embarrassed again, Uh, especially not on national TV, especially not at home. And I really liked the Bucs as underdogs. And like one of the last things I said, I was like, ooh, I really wish I could have got them as underdogs here. And it was just them becoming favorites at the last second. I almost switched to the Ravens. Because my final thoughts was like, the Ravens are the better team. They've been playing better all season. They also have a tendency to blow some late leads. I ended up just sticking with Tampa because I'm an idiot. Not really, but, you know, they did all the things uh, that I thought they could do to take the lead and to control the game. And then they just played stupid football the rest of the way and shot themselves in the foot. 
everything seemed out of rhythm. There's a lot of there's an open throw to Mike Evans in the end zone that Tom Brady just flat out missed. So it's on him too. It's not just like everybody else is making mistakes. He's missing throws, like plain and simple. He's missing throws that he normally makes. And I was kind of trying to figure out why he's missing some of the throws that he's missing. And I think part of it is Ryan Jensen is not there. So some of the protections are a little clunky. I mean, he's not getting sacked that much. In comparison to last season, he's, you know, right where he was. In comparison to how quickly he's getting the ball out of his hands, it's about the same as it was last season. So everything's designed still to move very quickly. But at least what I saw in this game is that there's a lot of tipped balls at the line of scrimmage. So I think the defenses are figuring out that, like, the ball's going to be coming out quickly. If they can't get the pass rush, just get their hands up. And so I think with the tip balls... It's also having Tom put a little more air under the ball on some of his downfield throws, just kind of like as a reactionary measure. And on the one that he missed Evans in the back of the end zone, and there's one that, I mean, Kate Otten dropped in the end zone, but also was on a throw like that. It's just nothing's, nothing's lining up and firing well. Credit to the Ravens, though. They did not look good early in that game, and then they figured it out. And they did so without Mark Andrews. Gus Edwards left the game. So they're really doing it with a, like a secondary cast and just a mix of really good, diverse run plays. And they hunkered down and targeted that thin Tampa secondary and just forced those guys to have to tackle. And they eventually got tired. So, hey, credit to the Ravens. Uh, the Bucks are not good. I don't know if they're going to get better. At this point, I have to probably stop picking them as a precautionary measure, but that is a story for another day. Okay, so moving forward, we're going to do some things that we did last week. I like the idea of that two-minute timer in order to keep me on track and to keep this show under an hour and a half, two hours, make it enjoyable for everybody. So... Again, this is something where I may get some sound effects and spruce it up in the future, but for now, there's going to be none of that sprucing, and we're going to take a look at each of the games this week, go through the picks, and put two minutes on the clock, and that's all I get to decipher whatever I can in regards to these football games. All right, so the first one on deck is uh, another London game. The Broncos meet the Jaguars at Wembley Stadium in London. Two minutes on the clock. Let's go. The Broncos are not good. Uh, you know, whether or not Russell Wilson is playing quarterback, this team has not been good all season. They can't score. The Jags have had their moments. They are not great, but I, in general, I like the Jags more. This is a coin toss type of game. They're favored by two and a half, minus 135 favorites, over, under, 40 and a half. Ugh, Denver scores so little that it's tough to say that this game's going to go over 40, but, you know, if they score an uncharacteristic touchdown, they could. It's the London game, so both of these teams are a little bit tired and maybe not exactly at 100%. So it could go over. A lot of these games have a tendency to go over. And if anyone's going to get up early in the morning to watch the games, then it makes sense that 
it would be more exciting for it to go over. And for the most part, aside from Randy Gregory's injury that's kind of killing them, and Baron Browning is also out at linebacker too for Denver, they're mostly pretty healthy. Uh, Cameron Fleming's out on the offensive line. Russell Wilson supposedly is okay with his injury that was suppo- that uh, was so bad that it kept him out last week, but he you know stretched it stretched the whole flight home on the plane, and now he's good to go. So who knows? Uh, it looks like Jacksonville is also healthy. So my gut says the Jags win. They're more used to going to London. You know, this is a trip that they've taken many, many times. Their offense is better. They average more points per game. They do give up a little bit more per game as well, but Denver just doesn't score. Both of these teams are 2-5 and five against the spread, so it's an ugly, ugly pick. But I think... Oh, there's two minutes. Uh, I think Jags under, eh, I don't really love that game, but oh well. Rids picks. Rids is taking the Jags. Okay, moving on, we've got the Panthers at the Falcons. Panthers at 2-5, and five, coming off a big upset win. Uh, Atlanta's 3-4, and four, coming off a, the first game where they weren't competitive this year. Atlanta is still favored. And they're four-point favorites. Minus 210, over-under of 41. Definitely want the over on that. These are two teams that can score if they're both having fun and kind of wheeling and dealing. And now that the Panthers have, you know, gotten their second win, if they win this game, they move to 3-5. and five. Atlanta moves to 3-5. and five. The Bucks are 3-5. and five. You know, anything can happen. So... It's a, it's a game that Carolina definitely wants to win. Whether or not it's a game they do win remains to be seen, but they are going to be without Chubba Hubbard in this effort. Uh, J.C. Horn is questionable as well. Uh, you're going to have P.J. Walker starting. Uh, Baker Mayfield is backing up. And, you know, P.J. Walker's fun. I, dr- I picked him up in one of my fantasy leagues for that reason. Atlanta, they're going to be without A.J. Terrell and Jalen Hawkins in the secondary. Now that Caroline has also traded away Robbie Anderson, I don't know how much that matters. You'll have Mariota. Algier will be the running back. London, Olamid, Zacchaeus, Damian Burke, Hal Pitts. Yeah. I like what I've seen from Atlanta better throughout the course of the whole season, and they don't have any injury that really scares me off of this game too much. Oh, there's two minutes. Damn, it goes fast. Uh, so we are going to take the, what was that? The over at 41. I will take the Falcons to cover just because they've been playing a little bit better this season so far. Rids picks. Rids is looking for the Panthers to make it two in a row. Next up, we have the Bears and the Cowboys. Bears also coming off a impressive win over New England in Foxborough. And is it a game that actually meant anything to them long-term? I don't know. That's tough to say. Dallas is going to be doubtful on Ezekiel Elliott. Noah Brown, questionable. Dalton Schultz, questionable. Uh, Micah Parsons, questionable. Dallas got a lot of guys that are dinged up here. Uh, They are the better team. And Chicago is mostly healthy. Jalen Johnson's out uh, at corner, and Larry Barome is out at right tackle. 
And if, honestly, if the Bears can play like they did against New England, where they run the ball, they work the play action, they use Justin Fields' skills to their advantage rather than to their detriment, they get him out and moving, they get him throwing on the run, they use some of the run looks to create space. I think Chicago can be competitive, and having this game is Dallas minus 10 with how injured they are and with how their offense kind of looked mediocre last week and how good Chicago runs the ball. I'm definitely going to take the Bears at plus 10. Over under 42.5 is tempting to go over because if the Bears play well, they can score a little bit, and if Dallas plays well, they can score a little bit. I, I still think Dallas probably finds a way to win. They should find a way to win, uh, but the Bears are not to be trifled with. So I will take Dallas to win, Chicago to cover, and the over at 42 and a half. Rids picks. That little bear is loyal to the Bears. Next game on deck is the Dolphins and the Lions. This is a game where I wish, you know, the Dolphins were, uh, excuse me, I wish the Lions were healthy. They are still dealing with so many different injuries right now. Chark went to IR. Quentin Cephas is on IR. Kabinda out, but he's been unhealthy all season. Jonah Jackson is questionable. Charles Harris out. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown questionable. That's a bad one. So it looks like they get DeAndre Swift back, which is going to make them a little bit better. Uh, but if it's going to be Josh Reynolds and Khalif Raymond and TJ Hawkinson, then... It's going to be tough sledding offensively to keep up with a Miami team that uh, they do have the ability to score. Uh, they were kind of getting back in the swing of things last week as they took on Pittsburgh. And I took Pittsburgh to win and to cover seven and a half. And at least they covered the seven and a half there. Uh, but it looks like they have no injury designations for Tyreek or Jalen Waddell. Uh, Mostert looks good to go. So. You know, I got to take Miami there. As much as I would prefer they lose this game, they're 70% favorites on ESPN. They're surprisingly only three and a half point favorites on the road, which I guess says a lot about how people view Detroit. But if Aiden Hutchinson can have a good game for Detroit, they can create some problems. But I think just overall, they're going to have a hard time keeping pace if St. Brown is not healthy. Swift coming back helps, so it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Over under 51 and a half. I'm going to say under. It could definitely go over. I'm just going to say under. I don't know why, but I feel like under is right. Could be wrong. Um, but I'll take, yeah, sadly, I'll take the Dolphins to win and to cover that three and a half, and we'll go under on 51 and a half. Rids picks. Rids is taking the Dolphins. Next up, we've got the Arizona Cardinals. They are on the road at Minnesota, and they're beat up. Uh, James Conner's out here. Darrell Williams questionable. So, I mean, we saw Eno Benjamin play well last week. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is back, so that helps. Rondale Moore, Robbie Anderson are going to be the three guys. A.J. Green has now been pushed back in the rotation, as has Dorch. Marquise Brown is on IR officially. Uh, DJ Humphreys is questionable. Max Garcia is out. Rodney Hudson's out. So it's going to be Cody Ford, Billy Price, 
making those replacements, but they could have three guys out on the offensive line, and that's never what you want to see. Uh, and Dennis Gardeck is out at linebacker for them. Prater is still questionable, but they do have Blankenship, who came in and played well last week. The Vikings are coming off their bye week, and they're mostly pretty healthy. At 5-1, and one, I think... It's pretty easy to say that they've been the better team this season, although I don't think the gap is as big as the records would suggest, especially with DeAndre Hopkins back. It's going to be really interesting. Uh, Arizona gives up more points, so Minnesota lost a lot of games last year because their defense just wasn't quite good enough to get them Ws, and now they've kind of at least righted the ship to where they're scoring more than they're giving up. Uh, offensive yardage per game is pretty comparable between these two. Minnesota has a little bit better passing attack. Arizona has a little bit better rushing attack. Defensively, Minnesota's defense is giving up more yardage, but they are playing in some games where they have the lead, uh, where Arizona's playing from behind a lot, so they're having the ball and they're throwing. Cardinals are 4-3 and three against the spread. Vikings are 2-4 and four against the spread. Over under 49. You know, I could see this game going over. And I'll take the Cardinals at plus three and a half. Because, I, like I said, I think it's a closer game than their records indicate. If Minnesota used the bye week well and they play to the best of their ability, I think they do win. They could be a little sleepy coming out of the bye week, though. But I'll, ugh, they're five and one. Something's got to give sooner or later. But... This is a game where, if they can control Hopkins, they should have a decent shot, but that's a tall ask. So, I'm going to go Minnesota and Arizona to cover that three and a half. Rids picks. Rids is going with the Cardinals. Next up, we have the Raiders. I think they're on the road. Yeah, on the road at New Orleans. Two and four Vegas, two and five New Orleans. I don't know, Vegas is favored in this one for some reason, but I don't think they've played well enough to earn being favorites at home in New Orleans. I think it's more about injuries, but, you know, Devontae Adams, Matt Collins, Darren Waller, all questionable as well. Jonathan Abraham's questionable at safety for the Raiders. It's just the Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, Juwan Johnson's questionable now too, along with Adam Troutman. Uh, Andres Pete is still questionable. David Onyemata, questionable. Paulson Adebo and Marshawn Lattimore. Well, Lattimore's out. So, you know, it's a tall ask, especially if Adams plays. And if he doesn't, and they go with some combination of Hunter Renfro and Foster Moreau and Keelan Cole. I don't know. They're a little thin at wide receiver right now, but this is a Josh Jacobs football team for the time being. And the Saints are giving up 123 ground yards a game. So that's where the Raiders are going to focus their energy because it's what's winning them football games, at least the two wins that they have. But they've been competitive lately because of Josh Jacobs. So I think them being favored by a point and a half on the road with all of the injuries to the Saints makes sense. But they also, the Raiders give up a lot of passing yards. And Andy Dalton did have a monstrous kind of game playing from behind against Arizona. I don't think that's going to happen again. The Raiders need this game. I mean, the Saints need it too. But I think it'll be a little bit easier for the Raiders to contain the Saints having a ton of injuries on offense. 
So I, I'll, as much as I don't like it, I will go with the Raiders at minus one and a half, and we'll take the over at 48 and a half. Reds picks. Raiders. Oh, the next game on deck is more interesting than I would have anticipated at the beginning of the season. It is the Patriots on the road at the Jets. Patriots are three and four after taking a bad loss to the Bears, where Mac Jones came in. Didn't really look that terrible. He threw an interception, which, I mean, great play by the safety on that anyway. So it wasn't like the end of the world or anything, but Belichick pulled him. And then they put in Bailey Zappi, expecting that to be like a rescue mission. And he came in and he helped them take the lead. And then he looked like shit after that the rest of the way. So the Patriots are really in the thick of kind of like the disaster zone. Uh, New York just lost Brees Hall for the season with the ACL injury. It's, you know, is a shit injury to see. Corey Davis is out too. Uh, Dwayne Brown is questionable. So I think the Jets could win this game. It's just I don't know how they I don't know how they switch to post Brees Hall now. I mean they do have James Robinson, but he's gonna have to learn a new offense. So unless they just plug him in and say run the ball a couple times, hope that works. I don't know. I, the quarterback controversy in New England gives me pause. At least the Jets know, like, they're going to be rolling with Zach Wilson regardless. Uh, could have a decent game from Braxton Berrios, but I'm looking at Garrett Wilson. The Elijah Moore situation looks like he's going to play, so maybe Conklin and Uzoma have bigger minutes. Uh, we'll see. The Jets can win. They're 5-2 and two for a reason. New England definitely has their number. The Pats have won... 12 in a row 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 11 12 and the two games last season were both blowouts the two games before that not quite blowouts but just they've managed to own the Jets especially uh, with Zach Wilson uh, I don't want to take the Patriots but I think they find a way to get it done as the Jets search for what they're going to be like without Brees Hall in the arsenal and without Corey Davis out there. Rids picks. Now I'm worried because Rids is taking the Patriots too. Next up, we've got the Steelers at the Eagles. Not really a uh, frightening game for the Eagles in the conventional sense, but... You never know. I mean, I don't think that uh, TJ Watt is playing. He's still on IR. Larry Ogunjobi's out. And the Steelers' offense doesn't look good with Kenny Pickett. It doesn't. He did not look good against Miami. Some of the throws he made were just ugly. The one that got picked off to lose the game after he had got picked off on the drive before that... Uh, the way he threw that ball just floated it out to nowhere and gave only the defender a chance to pick it off. Didn't like seeing that. The Eagles are coming out of their bye week. They're 6-0 for a reason. I think the Steelers' defense can theoretically present some problems for the Eagles' run game, but beyond that, Jalen Hurts is going to be able to break the pocket here and there. I think they're a more dangerous team passing. Levi Wallace is out too, so... 
you know, I just, I, I'm having a hard time seeing the Steelers' path to victory here. And if they can't beat Miami when Miami scores 16 points, I don't see how they beat the Eagles unless the Eagles really beat themselves. So I'm not even going to put the two minutes on the timer for this. I'm just going to take the Eagles at minus 11, and we'll go under 42.5 as I have the Eagles defense, so I hope that they hold serve. Rids picks. Rids is taking the Eagles. We move on to the Tennessee Titans at the Houston Texans. Tennessee's 4-2 and two, despite a not great season. They're hanging in there. They're doing just fine. Uh, they're figuring out who they are, starting to get Henry back. Uh, they have Houston at 1-4-1. One, one. They're not good. Davis Mills has not progressed much since last season, and their offense is kind of just stuck. Damian Pierce is good. He's already halfway to 1,000 yards, so he's having a really nice rookie season. Uh, Derrick Henry's right there with him, though. More carries, so less yards per carry, but it's the bruising style of football that Derrick Henry plays that ends up paying dividends for them as the season goes along and I don't see any reason to not take the Titans here I'm just going to take a quick peek at their depth chart and see if I'm missing something that I'm not missing Tannehill's questionable so that could hurt them they got Traylon Burks and Kyle Kyle, uh, excuse me Kyle Phillips on IR so it's going to be Woods Westbrook Akine Hollister, Henry, not too much different from what they've been operating with really this season, and they've been winning without Traylon Burke, so nothing to really concern me there. You got Brandon Cooks questionable. He's rumored to be getting traded. Nico Collins questionable as well. John Mechie's out. Uh, Kenyon Green questionable on the O-line. AJ Can questionable, and Justin McCray is questionable as a backup as well. And then you got Rasheem Green and Malik Collins, both questionable for the Texans. I don't see any reason for me to pick against Tennessee there and it's only three point favorites too you know on the road in a division game that's that's sitting pretty unless something has changed but I'll take the Titans to cover the three on the road and I will take the under 40 and a half as well Rids picks Rids is taking the Texans that brings us to the Washington Commandos at the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts did my Matt Ryan dirty, and I mean he's got nine touchdowns and nine picks. Not like he's playing great, but their offensive line's getting him killed. It's not going to get better by just throwing somebody else out there and hoping some shit sticks. Uh, they do have Jonathan Taylor healthy. He started to look good last week. Looks like the ankle's not bothering him, so they should stick behind that. Uh, they, they're going to be missing Pay, but they've been playing without him here and there. Shaquille Leonard's coming back. It's really going to be whether or not Sam Ellinger is the quarterback can get it done. Uh, it's a big ask for him to step in. He's a rookie from last season. Excuse me. So he's a second-year guy. He hasn't really played much for them. His career numbers, I don't even see any. So I can't even tell you if this guy's thrown a pass. I mean, I could, but I'm not going to look into it right now. So let's just say that he's got a big hill to climb against a pretty good Washington defensive front. Washington is starting to build some momentum. And as much as, like, you know, Taylor Heineke is not the savior quarterback that they would have hoped for, the team really likes him. 
and plays hard for him. So with Carson Wentz on IR with the hand injury, you know, Brian Robinson's healthy, Gibson's healthy, McLaurin's out there, Dotson's out. Uh, so that should help Curtis Samuel. Logan Thomas, always questionable. And Cole Holcomb's out at middle linebacker. But they got uh, their defensive front with Allen and Sweat and Jerome Payne starting to play better. Cameron Curl's back at safety. Ken- Kendall Fuller is healthy again. Uh, so they're starting to look better. And I do need some upset games here and there. And seeing them as plus three on the road against the Colts team with the young quarterback, I will take the... I want to say, I don't know, both of these teams give up a lot of points. I'll say over 39.5, and and I'll take the Commanders uh, to win and to cover the three. Rids picks. Rids says Colts. Next up, we have the Rams at home hosting the 49ers. Rams are 3-3, and Niners are 3-4. and Niners already beat them once this season. It's kind of weird to see them playing again already and with Debo Samuel out Juwan Jennings questionable Kyle Juszczyk out Eric Armstead out Dre Greenlaw out Rams coming off of their bye week this is the Rams game to lose at this point uh you know you take Debo out of that game Juszczyk is not you know the most important piece and especially now that they have McCaffrey they can do a lot of things but with Armstead and Greenlaw out, I mean, Nick Bosa is going to have to have a great one. I, Oof, those injuries are not the kind of injuries I want to see. And with Samuel out, they're really left with only Ray Ray McLeod, Brandon Ayuk, and Danny Gray, and George Kittle. So it's, it's possible, but they're going to have to run the ball down the Rams' throat. And I think the Rams have had some time to prepare for this game and see exactly what some other teams that have beaten the Niners have been able to do and I know the Niners have their number but I don't like the the particular injuries that they have so it may be foolhardy because the Niners basically own them during the regular season but I'm gonna go with the Rams on this one and they are even money at home minus 110 over under 42 we'll go over 42 because the Rams' defense hasn't been great this year. But the Niners' defense, you know, they're supposedly great, but hasn't looked so great a couple times. Mm, I got 10 seconds. What I want to do? I'll take the Rams at even money. And... Division game, injuries, running the football. We'll go under 42. Rids picks. Rams. In one of the most entertaining matchups of the week, we get the Seahawks and the Giants. The Giants just moved on from Kadarius Toney, and it's going to be Darius Slayton, Wandale Robinson, Marcus Johnson, who they called up, uh, Richie James, Saquon, Daniel Jones, you know the deal. They are missing Evan Neal and Ben Bredesen on the offensive line. That's not good against the Seattle team, whose defense is opportunistic and has started to make some plays they got to lose one sooner or later because they're five and one you know so sooner or later something's got to give and they're on the road again and seattle's better than jacksonville but they are questionable with metcalf questionable with lockett questionable with gabe jackson at right guard they are gonna be a kenneth walker 
centric team and really like it's gonna be just what Marquise Goodwin if Lockett and Metcalf don't play so that's a tall ask I think Seattle has what it takes to win this game they are slightly favored here I don't know if that ends up being the end-all be-all of the game they're favored by three at home they're four and three against the spread but the Giants are six and one against the spread so they're basically always underdogs they tend to show up in these type of games both of these teams get gouged on the ground so it's going to be walker versus barkley and they both give up some passing yards too and they both put up yards so you got that going for you i think this is going to be an entertaining game i would definitely take the over at 44 and a half it's just the combination of injuries it seems like the giants have their guys in place at least uh receiving core wise and if Seattle is going to not have Metcalf and Lockett at the same time then it's going to be just I feel a really hard game for them to score points consistently they do get good tight end play here and there <sighs> you know I, I've avoided picking the Seahawks a number of times for a number of reasons and I just wasn't ready to be a believer in what they're doing but I think this is an opportunity where the Giants maybe are just having to play from behind every week and pull off these kind of like miraculous wins is tough. I'll go with the Seahawks to win and to cover the three points at home. Rids picks. Surprisingly, Rids is going with the Giants. Finally, we get to the Sunday night game between the three and four Green Bay Packers and my five and one Buffalo Bills. And... I don't know how much time I want to spend on this because I don't see any way Green Bay competes in this game. I think the Bills easily cover that 10.5. From what I've seen from the Packers this season, they stink. Their offense is in shambles, similar to Tampa. Not exactly the same, but Alan Lazard is out. Christian Watson's questionable. Cobb's on IR. So it's Dubs, Sammy Watkins, Tanyan, and then you got Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins both questionable again, which plagued them basically all of last season. The Bills are coming off of their bye week and are mostly healthy other than Spencer Brown, who will not be playing. So we're probably going to get some David Quesenberry, maybe some Greg Van Rotten. But looks like probably the Bills are going to smash the Packers. You know, anything can happen. Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. So there's always an outside chance that he just finds a way to kneel this defense. Uh, but... If the Bills are prepared and rested and ready to go, they should dominate this team. So I like the Bills at minus 10 and a half. I'm going to say probably under 47 because I don't see the Packers being able to score that much. It's possible that they do, but I'll just take the under 47 and Bills at minus 10 and a half. Rids picks. Rids is taking the Bills. Good girl. Well, we've arrived at the Monday night game. We've got two minutes on the clock, and the Bengals are on the road at Cleveland. Cincinnati's still favored in ESPN's rankings by 66%. They're favored by three points, and the over-under is 45. What I don't like is the Jamar Chase injury, because that's an unfortunate injury. Hayden Hurst is also questionable, so it's going to be really about, you know, T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd and Joe Mixon and them being able to just stay 
kind of ahead of the chains, but you got Eli Apple questionable as well. Trey Hendrickson's questionable. Josh Tupo is questionable. And Cleveland, you know, you know what they're going to do. They're going to run the ball. They're going to play action. They're going to hit Mari Cooper and Donovan Peoples-Jones. Uh, David Njoku's out, so maybe Harrison Bryant is a good one. Wyatt Teller is also out. Miles Garrett's questionable. Clowney's questionable. Denzel Ward's out. So even though... Cincinnati is missing their biggest threat that really is a game-changing kind of threat for them. They are also still healthier. They give up about almost 10 points less per game, and they actually outscore Cleveland. They put up more yardage. They give up less yardage. There's really no reason for me to pick the Browns here other than it's a desperation type of game. But, you know, I think even if Chubb has 100-plus and a touchdown and Jacoby Brissett plays well, I think at some point like it's just going to be a game where the Bengals are a little bit too good on both sides of the ball for them so I could see this game being over 45 but I looked at the Baltimore game and I took over 46 and ended up at 43 in that game so being an AFC North showdown type of game with a lot of running the ball involved I'm going to foolishly take the under here and take the Bengals at minus three. Oh, there's the timer. Rids picks. Rids like Cincy too. All right. Well, we've reached the end. The two minute drill is over. The the first and 15 segment went pretty well. I mean, we're still under an hour, so I still like for the most part what we got going on. It's going to keep me on track for sure. Much better than we've done uh, in some of these other episodes where I just have a tendency to get out of control and wander. Last week, I ended up going nine and five because the Patriots, the Bucks, and the Packers all shit the bed. So I lost. Kristen was 10 and four. Ridley was 10 and four. And I'm I'm still in first in that league. I'm still in first in my other pick'em league because I'm just consistent more so than other players but I do like to have winning weeks here and there so I can get some weeklies so I would like to not lose to my girlfriend and my dog this week but I started off on the wrong foot taking Tampa so I gotta dig myself out of this hole with the stupid bucks and it's gonna be interesting there's some there's some weird games this week and I think nine games might be good enough to win it but i'd like to get 10 if possible as long as i can stay above 500 that gives me a good shot at the uh the big pool at the end of the season so we'll see how it goes but anyway thanks for listening everybody uh take care of yourselves and since Kristen's not here happy football sunday Thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to the episode. I still believe that word of mouth is the best way to help, so if you enjoyed it, please tell somebody. But liking, subscribing, and sharing go a long way, too. This show is an extension of thescheiss.com, and you can contact me at info at or at Podcast on Twitter. And until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Bills. <laughs>